Wall Street is full of corruption and it is baked in to every aspect of our society. MMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding at the macro level. In the 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This was written over a hundred years ago. This is The Rogue Scholar with Steve Grumbine. All right, everybody, this is Steve, the Rogue Scholar. Today is Friday, uh, June 17th, and we're going to talk about being about an inch above the pig shit. That's what today is all about. And, you know, you've heard me talk, if you've listened to me at all over the times that I've gone live, you hear me frequently refer to a period of time way back when called Bacon's Rebellion. And you've wondered maybe what that means, or maybe it just went right right by you, or maybe you already knew about it and it wasn't any big deal what I was saying. Um, But Bacon's Rebellion is a very, very important transitory period of time. It's like an event horizon in inequality. Something really brutal transformed during this period. So I found a really good write-up and I want to read this to you. It's pretty short, um, but it'll lay the groundwork for the conversation I'd like to have for the remainder of this live stream. So without further ado, let me go ahead and bring on the thing that I'm going to share. This is from a website. It looks like it's an educational website, facinghistory.org. This is for Holocaust and Human Behavior, Chapter 2, Inventing Black and White, Race and U.S. History. And so I just want to read this to you. It's, It's such a in my opinion, a fantastic uh, write-up. But as I lay the groundwork for this, hopefully some of the things that I've been saying will be simplified and make sense to you. But in Virginia in the uh, 1600s, Anthony Johnson secured his freedom from indentured servitude, acquired land, and became a respected member of his community. Elizabeth Key successfully appealed to the colony's legal system to set her free after she had been wrongly enslaved. By the 1700s, the laws and customs of Virginia had begun to distinguish black people from white people, making it impossible for most Virginians of African descent to do what Johnson and Key had done. Anyway, uh, why did Virginia lawmakers make these changes? Many historians point to an event known as Bacon's Rebellion in 1676 as a turning point. Nathaniel Bacon was a wealthy white property owner and relative of Virginia's governor, William Berkeley. But Bacon and Berkeley did not like each other, and they disagreed over the issues pertaining to how the colony should be governed, including the colony's policy toward Native Americans. Bacon wanted the colony to retaliate for the raids by Native Americans on frontier settlements and to remove all Native Americans from the colony so landowners like himself could expand their property. Berkeley feared that doing so would unite all of the nearby tribes in a costly and destructive war against the colony. In defiance of the governor, Bacon organized his own militia, consisting of white and black indentured servants and enslaved black people, who joined in exchange for freedom and attacked nearby tribes. A power struggle ensued with Bacon and his militia on one side and Berkeley, the Virginia House of Burgesses, and the rest of the colony's elite on the other. Months of conflict followed, including armed skirmishes between militias. In September 1676, Bacon's militia captured Jamestown and burned it to the ground. Although Bacon died of fever a month later and the rebellion fell apart, Virginia's wealthy planters were shaken by the fact that a rebel militia that united white and black servants and slaves had destroyed the colonial capital. Legal scholar Michelle Alexander writes, The events in Jamestown were alarming to the planter elite, who were deeply fearful of the multiracial alliance of indentured servants and slaves. Word of Bacon's rebellion spread far and wide and several more uprisings of similar type followed. 
In an effort to protect their superior status and economic position, the planters shifted their strategy for maintaining dominance. They abandoned their heavy reliance on indentured servants in favor of the importation of more black slaves. After Bacon's rebellion, Virginia's lawmakers began to make legal distinctions between white and black inhabitants by permanently enslaving Virginians of African descent and giving poor white indentured servants and farmers some new rights and status. They hoped to separate the two groups and make it less likely that they would unite again in rebellion. Historian Ira Berlin explains, Soon after Bacon's rebellion, they increasingly distinguished between people of African descent and people of European descent. They enact laws which say that people of African descent are hereditary slaves, and they increasingly give some power to independent white farmers and landholders. Now, what is interesting about this is what we normally say that slavery and freedom are opposite things, that they are diametrically opposed. But what we see here in Virginia in the late 17th century around Bacon's Rebellion is that freedom and slavery are created at the exact same moment. According to Oxford English Dictionary, the first appearance in print of the adjective white in reference to a white man, a person of race distinguished by a light complexion, was in 1671. Colonial charters and other official documents written in the 1600s and 1700s rarely refer to European colonists as white. As the status of people of African descent in the British colonies was challenged and attacked, and as white indentured servants were given new rights and status, the word white continued to be wide, more widely used in public documents and private papers to describe European colonists. People of European descent were considered white, and those of African descent were labeled black. Historian Robin D.G. Kelly explains, many of the European-descended uh, poor whites began to identify themselves, if not directly with the rich whites, certainly with being white. And here you get the emergence of this idea of a white race as a way to distinguish themselves from dark-skinned people who they were associated with perpetual slavery. The division in American society between black and white began in the 1600s, had devastating consequences for African Americans as slavery became an institution that flourished for centuries. Lawyer and civil rights activist Brian Stevenson explains, Slavery deprived the enslaved person of any legal rights or autonomy and granted the slave owner complete power over black men, women, and children legally recognized as property. American slavery was often brutal, barbaric, and violent. In addition to the hardship of forced labor, enslaved people were maimed or killed by, by slave owners as punishment for working too slowly, visiting a spouse on another plantation or even learning to read. Enslaved people were also sexually exploited. Leaders and scientists from the United States and around the world would increasingly rely on the supposed differences between the black and white races to justify the brutal and inhuman treatment of slaves. So with that, folks, let's, let's talk about this, okay? So, you know, clearly we have seen how all they have to do is give the slightest bit of anything, just a nickel, just any kind of seen as privilege to someone to make them separate without problem. And this has been going on since the 1600s. There's an awful lot of history here. Um, you know, I know I see Wesley out there. Hello, Wesley. But you see people like Wesley who read David Graeber and Wengrow's book, The Dawn of Everything. And they understand that Primitive cultures oftentimes didn't have formalized hierarchies. They didn't have standing hierarchies. They changed seasonally. They, they operated differently. They came and they went. People were sometimes up. Sometimes it was the men. Sometimes it'd be the women. Sometimes it would rotate by monthly, whatever. They did not maintain a static hierarchy. They did not maintain this is where you are in the world, and that's that forever and ever. 
so help me God, the end. They constantly evolved and changed seasonally and other ritualistic ways of alternating to prevent a lower class and middle class and an upper class. Everybody consistently was able to change in and out. If it was during the hunting season, they had a hunting hierarchy during that time. As soon as the hunting uh, hierarchy ended after the hunting season ended, and then they would go back to another form of social relations. This is all kind of head heady stuff, you know, real, real, you know, takes a lot of thought to go through. The problem here is this. I sat there and interviewed Shahed Buttar yesterday. And Shahed just once again lost to Nancy Pelosi. He didn't even make it to the general. He came in third, uh, you know. And so you ask yourself, why is a guy like Shahed Buttar, who is someone who has a really, really well-documented um, education path, he is a very, very smart, very, very coherent speaker, very, very visionary kind of guy. Um, but he is proclaiming to be a socialist, proclaiming to be somebody that's fighting for the vulnerable, fighting for the poor, fighting for all these different groups. Okay. But he's in an area that is more wealthy than Washington, D.C., that's more wealthy than Los Angeles, California. I, I don't know if it's as wealthy as Dubai, <laughs> but it's very, very well. It's the wealthiest place in America. And so if you think about it, he's running not for Senate, which would have been statewide. He was running for a congressional seat and the congressional seat in an area where the average income is in the six figures. We're not talking about a poverty stricken area, area, although there is massive amounts of poverty to be seen with tent cities and so forth. So ultimately, a guy like, uh, you know, Shahed Buttar is fighting for us. But he's in a city, it is in a district where the class interests are to maintain wealth, to enhance investment, to fundamentally change what he is standing for would be his only path forward. He would not have been able to unseat someone like a Nancy Pelosi in a territory that is so decidedly not progressive, not in that way anyway, not it more of a, a bourgeois type uh you know excuse me i'm it looks like my ah there we go so we have a bourgeois type environment where he's expected to somehow or another manage to be able to get elected it's just not feasible it's not feasible but you look at messaging trying to get these very very important heady messages out there and shahed buttar is one of those guys who's got a very very colorful palette of words that he can use his is his lexicon is huge his his word choices are always somewhat flowery they're really riveting to people that understand it but a lot of people around the country have gotten tired of elitism of 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 smart people so to speak so the backlash is this misinformation disinformation campaign this this campaign of keeping people down that are smart and dumbing things down because it's almost like a reactionary retaliation against elites. So we've got another division similar to that in Bacon's Rebellion, where it's like the regular people versus those who have bothered to read. And the people that bothered to read are freaking out and shaking the walls, except for the elites, but the regular people that have read that see the light and say, oh my God, there it is, are reviled. They're, they're not seen as allies. They're not seen as people that are presenting a path forward or a way out. Some of the most basic concepts are lost on not just our movement, but society as a whole. This is why conservatism wins so often. Inflation caused by printing money. Thanks, Brandon, or whatever, right? These, these simple things. You did bad, you belong in jail. You broke a rule, you should go to jail. You took a loan out, you should pay the loan. You did this, you should do that. It's always very binary in nature. Inflation, printing money. Printing money, hyperinflation. 
It's they don't. It's like what? I don't have a clue about any of the inside factors that go into any of this. And the minute you start to try and explain it, it's already done. It's already done. They don't care because we've gotten to a point now where the elite, who didn't always be, they weren't always elite. This elitist structure here hasn't been around forever. The systems that are governing us today are relatively young in terms of history. But they have realized, going back to the 1600s with Bacon's Rebellion, that when people are smart and they understand things, they don't just accept oppression. They don't just accept whatever. So they've gone out of their way to dumb down society, to keep society docile, and to maintain a static power structure. And within that power structure, everybody's looking for advancement. Everybody's looking for whatever it is that's going to self-actualize them, forsaking, forsaking the collective struggle, forsaking collective success for individual success. This is why libertarianism is on the rise. Stupid people people that have been dumbed down to the point of absurdity going for this obvious simple thing. Why? Oh, that's, that's force. That's authority. Why should I accept that? Right. This almost reflexive nature to not working within a system to help make sure all rise. It's, it, it's been dumbed down to the point where it's always good, bad. No, yes. No left, right. Dem Repub, this, that, Rich, not rich. Capitalism, not capitalism. I won't vote for a Democrat, period, for any reason. It's it's reductionist. It's right down to this, like, I don't have to think now. I don't require to have a brain anymore. I can simply make very bombastic exclamations, and that will suffice as political analysis. That will suffice as intelligence for the average slob. Right one inch above the pig shit. They don't require information. They don't want to know. We are in a post-truth society. We're in a society, quite frankly, where actually telling truth is seen not as a revolutionary act, but as an oppressive act. Let's take a look at the state-by-state versus federal for Medicare for all. It is a fact that states are currency users. It's not an opinion. It's not an emotional reaction. It's a statement of truth. It's a statement of fact. States cannot create their own currency. Okay, And by law, you can look no further than Article 1, Section 10 of the United States Constitution. And it says states cannot create currency, period. They leave that only to the federal government and they do that under Article 1, Section 8. Now, for those who have never taken constitutional law or never taken a class or even read the U.S. Constitution, but talk about it constantly, right? But they haven't actually read it. These things come as shocking. What? What do you mean? That can't be true. How dare you? How dare you? They revile truth. They revile facts in favor of emotional, zero, black, white, yes, no kind of answers. And by doing that, by doing that, we end up fighting, but we're not fighting about truth or facts. We're fighting about feelings. When you tell them a state literally cannot sustain, if a pandemic came through, maybe one or two states would have enough financial wherewithal from being net producers of goods and services and having a GDP within their state, okay, that allows them to do things that most states cannot do. Most states are not flush with catch. All you have to do is look at the National Football League and realize that back before they had revenue sharing, many of the teams were perpetual shitty teams. They didn't have any money to sign players. You could see it in baseball even. Back when the New York Yankees would just buy all the best players, and it was a foregone conclusion that the Yankees were either going to be in first place or second place, they were always going to be in contention for a championship. But 
everybody else. I mean, back in the day when they were the Cleveland Indians, you know, you never thought the Indians, I mean, they made movies about the mockery of the Indians, Cleveland Indians, right? Now Cleveland Guardians. It, it's in these moments that you realize that without some form of understanding at each state level, that states themselves not only have something horrific, they have unfunded federal mandates that are placed on every state. Now, every state is not made the same. Think about Los Angeles as its own place. LA has huge amounts of money. Think about where Shahed and Nancy Pelouser are. Right up there has got insane amounts of wealth, okay? The Silicon Valley, the Hollywood, every one of these big major industries is housed right there in California. They have income coming in from all around the world that makes them different than Alabama and different than North Carolina and different than South Dakota and different than Mississippi and different than Wisconsin and Delaware and Maine and Vermont and Connecticut, you name it. Okay. But when you explain this to someone, that is an emotional person. They are not listening to you. You have no right to be smarter than them. You have no right to know more than them. You have no right to say what is true and not true because it's just your opinion. You see, we've reduced facts, verifiable facts. Not that none, of this, none of what I just said is an opinion. Literally, not a single bit of what I just said is an opinion. Every single thing that I just said right there, right now, is a traceable fact. But if you state that, some parasite will call you divisive. Some evil fuck will call you a, 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 a somebody that's trying to fuck up a movement, okay? Because it's been reduced to you're either with us or you're against us. You either go with this thing, even though it's verifiably wrong, or you're against us. It's that simple. And that's what it's been reduced to. If you explain that during a pandemic, the reason why something like Medicare for All needs to be funded at the federal level is because it serves as what we'll call an automatic stabilizer. An automatic stabilizer that as more people get sick, as the system starts to buckle with need, with massive quantities of people using it, the money spent into the system will naturally rise. But again, I go back to explaining, states can't create their own currency. So unless you're able to simultaneously jack up taxes, these states which have a constitutional balanced budget inside of each one of them, okay, they will literally not be able to fund their expenditures and people won't be able to get service. Okay, that's 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 the system. If it all passed, if every state suddenly had this, that's the issue. California, they'd be fine, maybe for a bit. Washington state, maybe they'd be fine for a little bit. But most states, that wouldn't be the case. This is empirical. I'm not making this up. It's empirical. You saw Sam Brownback in Kansas. What did Sam Brownback do? Parasite number one former governor of Kansas. Is he still the governor? I don't know. He was evil. Okay. One way or the other. And this guy decided he was going to slash the tax base. He was going to slash public services and schools were going around with books so bad that they were literally falling apart. Tables and chairs that were broken, literally. I mean, it was horrible. Okay. Roads that were destroyed. I mean, it was just, he had decimated it with the hopes of luring businesses into Kansas. Well, Texas has been doing this forever. If you remember Rick Perry, if you remember W, if you remember Georgia, if you remember that whole gang of people down there in Texas, we're open for business. Come on down here. And businesses were going to Texas in droves, okay, because of the sweetheart tax deal. Now, we collectively, we, you and I, we, we, we can't necessarily just pick up and go somewhere, can we? And so you see places like Detroit, Michigan, where the auto industry picked up and left and took its production elsewhere. And you see they left behind a desert with people without means, without jobs, without income. And the local communities 
their revenue, the tax revenue dried up. So they had to literally carve up Detroit's most precious prized possessions, their museums, their, their artifacts, their, their, their treasures, and sold it off Bain Capital style because they didn't have the money because business had left. They didn't have the tax revenue to survive and states are dependent on taxes. They have balanced budget amendments. There's only like one, and I don't know if it's Connecticut or what. There's only one state that I think doesn't have a balanced budget inside of it. Okay. So with this said, information is reviled. In no way am I bashing an activist. Most activists don't know what I'm saying. What I'm talking about right here, a precious few of us understand. It's not common knowledge. Even if you think it's common knowledge, I assure you, it's not common knowledge. It should be common knowledge. It should be the most base case of all the ills of society, especially in the United States. We should know this in spades, but we don't because we've been lied to. And so because of this need for simplicity, this need to just have it yes or no, black and white, good and bad, I'm never voting a Democrat. I'm never voting to this. Oh my God, it's a Republican. It must be a Nazi. Oh my God. You know, all these zero sum comments, black, white, good, bad. You're wrong. I'm right. Blah, blah, blah. There are things that are empirical in nature that are true. Then there's things that are, well, maybe it's true sometimes. And then there's things that is completely, absolutely not true at all. And having these conversations with people, unfortunately doesn't yield a lot of fruit. Why? Because two factors, really. One, most people don't feel like hearing about it. That's the truth, but they don't feel like hearing about it. The flip side is, don't have the brain power to connect to it because a lot of these things require effort that took years to accumulate. Lots of reading, lots of different talks and conversations paradigm shifting thoughts that didn't happen by osmosis it happened by an incredible desire and willingness and commitment to learn these things a commitment and a desire that 99.999% of the people in the united states have no desire to do okay have no desire to do so what ends up happening you end up fighting about hey listen i want to have medicare for all too However, if you approach it state by state, let me explain to you what happens. Number one, we have an existential climate crisis that has an eight-year window to fix. Eight years, folks. I didn't make it up and you can't negotiate with physics. So eight years, that's empirical shit right there. Eight years, okay? Now, eight years, that's what we're dealing with. Okay, so if we use that as the date that we've got to back into having solutions, you say, well, shit. If, if we're saying we have to fix it by then or have, have something mitigated by then or whatever, then that means, okay, so that means there had to have been legislation that would be passed to get it out there. So that means that legislation had to be passed, let's say, at five years. And then to have that passed, that means you have to socialize it and debate it. And that means you've got to have people mobilized for it. That means, let's say, three years. And so, shit, we're right up on it. We're going to fucking die. But nah, nah, can't be bothered. It doesn't fit the black and white, yes or no, good and bad, state, national, whatever. It doesn't fit, but that's the fact. So we got eight years. Well, I say a Green New Deal. A Green New Deal encompasses Medicare for all. A Green New Deal addresses the eight-year window for climate crisis, especially if we leave that as the backdrop, right? We start adding these things in, and then we see a federal job guarantee to absorb the labor that is displaced by moving away from dirty energy, okay? Well, the people at the bottom are saying, fuck that, man. I, what do I care about climate crisis? I need, how's that putting food in my mouth? How am I going to eat? How's that paying my rent? How's that helping me do this? They don't know. They don't care because they can't care because it's too much to think about. And then the elites say, how's that going to impact my 401k? I was checking. It's a bull market, man. I was checking my stocks and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Different interests, different class interests. So all of a sudden they're looking at how 
Wall Street's handling. These people are saying, hey, I ain't putting food on my plate. And then the squishy middle's watching Rachel Maddow. And she's too busy talking about Trump and his tiny hands and bad comb over. So you're left with a small little group with John 316 signs standing on the corner decrying, hey, you know, the end is nigh, blah, 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 right? Once again, where is truth in this? Is the truth that, ah, oh, it's no big deal, what's my stock market say? Is the truth that environment justice doesn't matter, that we're going to have all this major ice shelves melting and catastrophic conditions happening? Does that really mitigate the fact that person over here is hungry and not eating? No, it's still true, regardless of their interests not saying it's important. It's very important. It's very true. And this timeline is very real. So the only way to address climate crisis is to have legislation working now to be implemented then and be mitigated by a certain period of time. This is basic project management. Again, another skill that 99.999% of the public don't fucking have and don't want to have and don't want to hear shit about. So instead of addressing the timeline, instead of addressing the multiple prong needs that focus on one bill that we can direct all of our attention on, they instead fall back to, you just don't want my kid to have health care. You are disgracing my dead child. You are a horrible splitter. You are not showing solidarity in the movement by saying these things, you horrible, evil person. Okay? This is where the one inch above the pig shit comes from. Somebody has a little bit of a station in life. Somebody has a little bit of clout. And all of a sudden, they're a fucking emperor. All of a sudden, it's good and bad, black and white, us against you, and that's that. There should have been no fight whatsoever between us and states people because we're not talking against. We want health care. They want health care. We should be agreeing, period, with the information. It's not a matter of good and bad, yes and no, you're right, I'm right. This is empirical shit. We have a climate crisis that trumps your need for healthcare. Because the problem is, I, I'm just envisioning this. You get your Medicare for all in your state. No one else has it, by the way, just you. And it's not even Medicare for all. It's not even Medicare for some. It's some other thing. It's some fucking Franken-monster thing that you've created out of nowhere that are going to be tax-driven and all the other things that are wrong with this, okay? And then what happens? The tsunami comes, and you're looking like, yes, I got my whole Washington healthcare, but damn it, that tsunami is pretty fucking scary, but there's nothing I can do about it because all I did was invested in this little myopic thing that doesn't have the big picture in mind, and so the guys that were right are still evil, and they didn't want me to have healthcare, uh, but you know, and so this is what we're up against. It's not that you're fighting. It's you're telling the truth, and the truth doesn't work for them. They don't like it. They don't want to hear it. It's complicated. And one person, I, I think her name was Jen Nye, said, how could you know? How could you know? Like, truth is just such a, an ephemeral thing that it's so impossible to understand. How could you know? And I feel bad for her because I understand she thinks she's fighting for something big for all of us. But the fact is the timeline doesn't work. The timeline doesn't work. And see, nobody wants to hear about timelines. Nobody wants to hear about timelines, but timelines matter. Timelines really fucking matter. I, I, I envision this way. At my day job, I'm a project manager by trade. And so naturally, I think in terms of timelines, risk management, assessing options, assessing alternative mitigation strategies when things go wrong, et cetera. And I'm always, instead of being a loser, stuck on something that's not working, I have to bake in my contingency plans when we hit certain things. When we realize different information is there, this isn't going to work. I would be fired immediately if I said, well, I... I've put all this time and effort into this way I'm doing it, and I'm doing it this way. Hmm. I'm not changing no matter what information comes my way. I'm not going to do it. You can't make me. I'm not going to do it. 
be on the street, be bounced. And he called me a fucking loser, man. You loser. It's a sunk cost fallacy. And when you're in charge of making a project work and you double down on the wrong path because that's what you've been doing, you've been rolling it down the hill and you're going to do it no matter what, that's when people get fired. Okay. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't have the, they didn't think about contingencies. They didn't think about, oh God, what if my assumption is incorrect here? What if I made an assumption and it's wrong? How do I change now? Well, the way you change is you say, hey guys, guys, let's get together. Look, there's some real important data here. States are currency users. And you know what? Most states can't do it. Most states don't have the ability to put a, a ballot initiative up. Most states can't do that. So now what do we do? They don't do that. It's just like, nope, we've already done this. It doesn't matter if it's right. doesn't matter if it's wrong. In fact, the arguments back to me frequently are like, Steve, stop fighting with them. I'm not fighting with them, by the way. I'm not fighting with them. I've blocked them all. I'm making a case that this is true. For those who have ears, let them hear. For those who don't have ears for hearing, I am probably going to block you too because I'm just so tired of people making an emotional fight out of factual information. You either accept reality and truth and make adjustments accordingly, or you double and triple down on lies. In fact, one of my favorite lies that comes up is it was done in Canada this way by province. We've written an incredibly long, extensive paper, highly researched and documented by Jeff Ginter, that shows that this is incorrect. We have Burian Sandal do a great line where he dove in and did incredible work to show it was wrong. Margaret Flowers said, oh, hell no. Shama Sawant said, no way. Okay. But more importantly, though, it doesn't even matter about what individuals say. It matters. What are the facts? Are states currency issuers, yes or no? What happens in the event? What happens? These are all very important things. Why? When the French Revolution happened, what happened? They took over, and then what happened? If things started going crazy, so what ends up happening? Robespierre starts beheading anybody that doesn't get with it, that, that's seen as a counter-revolutionary. Well, the counter-revolution eventually put Robespierre up there and took off his head. Okay, there's always a counter-revolutionary force waiting for you. There's always a counter-revolutionary force waiting for you. And so if you get a state to do any kind of health care, there's going to be the insurance lobby, the health care lobby, every single conservative and Republican that don't want this kind of thing to happen, conservative Democrats, you name it, and they are going to be watching. And if it fails, it will fail for all because it will never be tried again. That's the way this zero-sum stuff works. Now, we'll tell you, I struggle with this whole one step above the pig shit thing. Without understanding that we're all in this together. Okay? Without that, we are in deep shit. Without us understanding that people have different self-interests and those self-interests sometimes go against yours. In fact, they go against societies. That's what you see with a lot of these rich people that they don't care. They don't care who gets hurt because they're not even thinking about anyone getting hurt. They're only thinking about what they want. And so everybody else, because to assimilate, to, to it, in any way, shape, or form, relate to the people on the bottom would make them feel some type of way. So naturally, just like back in 1600s, those poor whites wanted to be seen as white. They would rather associate with the rich oppressors that are brutalizing and beating and hurting people, and they want to be able to do that too. They want to be the ones exacting it because they would rather associate with this. 
because they're just an embarrassed millionaire. They're just an embarrassed soon-to-be oligarch or something like that. So this is constant. Nobody wants to associate with that. They always want to associate upward. They always want to somehow or another be part of the next great thing. The next winners. They want to be on the winning team. And so you see throughout this movement, and really in society, the herd goes with wherever they think a winner is going to be. They're not really gauging the information. They're not judging the information. They're not thinking through the information. This is why it's always great to have a conspiracy that can't be proven. These conspiracy theories that are just spicy and salacious, they make them feel alive. Oh my God, it's like tingly. Ooh, what was that? Right? It's tingly feeling, this thing. They make up stories to fill in gaps of lack of knowledge. It's so much easier than learning. This is not a put down, sadly. This is the human condition. And so it's very challenging as, as someone that follows in this modern monetary theory lens to make MMT, as I say, and as people deride me for, to make these simplified conversations even more simple, to boil it down to brass tacks. Folks, the only reason why you don't have free health care right now is because that son of a bitch over there, that oligarch, is not letting you because the industry doesn't want you to have it. They can't understand more than that. That's got to be the message, sadly. Problem is that leaves them wide open to getting embarrassed and shamed by the right wing that is organized and have their talking points down. They would crush that kind of mindlessness. But the mindlessness is what attracts the herd. They always want to be just one inch above the pig shit. Because how do you measure yourself? By who's below you. You measure your success by who's below you. If, if you're running a race and there's 500 people in this race, you look over your shoulder and there's nobody behind you. Oh, shit. And you start running a little faster because you don't want to be the last one. There's an old saying, you don't have to be the fastest person, but when a bear is chasing you to, you know, hungry, you just got to be faster than the last one in line, right? You just got to be faster than the slower person. And that has become the, the ethos, the, the simplified life that we have. That's it. So trying to teach people modern monetary theory, trying to teach people history, trying to teach people social relations, trying to teach people political theory, trying to give people a philosophical perspective of Hegel or or uh, you know Marx or you know dialectical materialism or realism or any of these isms. It's just like tall, tall cotton, man. It's just way, way up here. You're not. I, I, it sucks. It's like God. Where are all the people that are willing to talk about the things that matter? You could see it too, by the way. When you look at YouTube channels, you it's almost like there's this one indicator of what is going to make the channel grow it's how dumbed down is the content and you could see 800 people watching someone's live stream over here and the content is about as dumb as you can get they're not asking important questions they're not talking about important things it's just a bunch of yeah fuck the democrats that's the beginning and the ending of their social arrangement they don't know anything beyond that that's it man that's it and then you start explaining Hey, you know what? We've got to find a way out of this because this Rubik's Cube right here, if we turn it this way, we end up with tsunamis and fucking supercells and drought and death and war. But if we turn it this way, we have life abundance. We have everybody having a good, healthy life. We have all these things. But the complexity of that Rubik's Cube is too much for some to fathom. And so they will resent you. They will resent you for daring to insert nuance into the conversation. So what I find fascinating 
and chilling is that when you tell somebody something as simple as the government, the federal government, a federal law has named the U.S. dollar to be the inch or the pound of the federal government. It is their creation. It is a patent. It's a law. You start there. It's a law. There you go. There it is. The dollar was spoken into existence by our federal government. When you say that to somebody, that should be the end of the show. It should be so fucking easy, right? You can't run out of something you create out of thin air, can you? You can no sooner run out of inches and pounds than you can run out of degrees or whatever, right? But unfortunately, regular people, the vast majority of society, that's too, that's too tall an order. But then the same people that don't want to hear what I just said will turn around and immediately say, oh, inflation, they must have printed money. They don't know a fucking thing about inflation. I mean, they can't fucking econ their way out of a wet paper bag. But damn it, they are absolutely bona fide sure that they just locked in on what causes inflation. They printed money. The dumbest people on the planet, they printed money, therefore, boom. I mean, the most stupid people. Oh, it's hyperinflation. We're all going to die. Immediately resort to that. How do you get past that? You don't have 20 hours a day to devote to somebody's sea lion questions. Oh, well, wouldn't it be possible if? And at first you think, oh, they're, they're being legitimate. You realize they're not really, they're trying to stress you out and drag you down with repetitive bullshit questions that don't really lead to anything. And see, when you're a process person, when you devise processes and you look at inputs, outputs, and tools and techniques, and you don't do it by your opinion, things become a little bit less well, you know, it's a strategy opinion. It's an opinion. No, when you're a process person, you trace the lines. You're able to see node A to node B. What's happening in this segment? It's not working. Let's cut and prove. Let's fix this. But if you don't have that systems approach, then everything's, ah, it's just an opinion. Let's not quibble. Let's not quibble. Some people just know what the fuck they're talking about. Okay? but they're reviled for being more informed, for having more knowledge. They're not respected for that knowledge. And so the simple defeats the correct. And therefore we end up stuck where we are. It's pretty hard not to kick the shit out of the people that reject truth in pursuit of feelings. Because we all suffer because of their inadequacy. We all suffer because of them short-cheating the bed. We all suffer because of their half measures. Not even half. It's like, oh, printing money, inflation. That's it. That's it. What else do we talk about? Next subject. Printing money, inflation. The least intelligent say these things. And there's no overcoming it because it's been intentionally dumbed down. I got to tell you, it's all I can do not to cave in and say, well, I give up. There's no one that wants to learn. Yeah, exactly. This is perfect right here. I'm putting this up on the board right here. When I think to myself, how do we survive cataclysmic climate change? And I think about the fact that people that do know, the scientists, the people like Peter Kalmus and Ben C that know, I look at guys like that and they're chaining themselves 
to JP Morgan trying to draw attention to these issues. People that know, that know, that are chaining themselves to buildings trying to make these points stick. But all anybody has to do is hear somebody say, oh, that's just liberal propaganda. And it's done. It's done. Hey, shit libs. It's a shit lib thing. Environmental justice shit lib thing. Yeah. I'm never voting Democrat. I'm not. And that's the end of the conversation. And as long as you can come in there and, and be all cocky and put your arm up and get the right scowl on your face, you know. Yeah, you know, they printed money and hey, we got inflation. As long as you can do that, you're in the in club, man. You're in the in club. You're good. Oh, man, they just printed so much money. They debased the currency. Can you please tell me what debasing the currency means, sir? Well, no, man, you printed money. It means they debased the currency. Now, can you please explain what debasing the currency means, sir? Ma'am, can you please tell me what debasing the currency means, sir? Ma'am? No? What? But, 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 but. But, 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 but you just said that printing money is debasing the currency. You, you just said that printing money was debasing the currency, but you don't even know what debasing currency means, and you don't even understand what a sovereign free-floating fiat currency means. And oh, no, we're back to esoteric. Now we're back to that lofty big words and crazy theories, and I don't understand, so it must be wrong. How could you possibly know? How could you possibly know? Now, I see some questions out there. Real quickly, I just want to say, uh, Warren Mosler has a free book online. You can come to our website, realprogressives.org, and you can check out Seven Deadly Innocent Frauds. It's a fantastic starter. Everybody that is seriously devoted to this movement probably started at Warren Mosler's Seven Deadly Innocent Frauds. Since then, Randy Ray has put out a book, Modern Money Primer, uh, Modern Money Theory, I think it's called, uh, or Intro to Modern Money or something like that. Um, you also have Stephanie Kelton's like more of an airport read, which is the deficit myth. It's not the whole of MMT, but it is a good primer to get you through the door. It really does break down some concepts pretty simply. Okay. But what I want to make the point of is that this isn't even an MMT story. We're talking climate change. We're talking about climate crisis and how we deal with fossil fuels. We're talking about things that most of us are not experts in, that we have to trust experts. And because there's been so much misinformation and disinformation and propaganda and different interests from capital, et cetera, our minds are spaghetti messes. Yep, Bob Hockett's money from nothing. I just want you to understand that in order for us to change anything, we're going to have to speak in a language that people that aren't interested in learning speak. The problem with that is, is that when you talk about gender fluidity and you talk about gender spectrum, that's too much. It's good, bad, black, white, gay, straight, man, woman. Trans? What do you mean trans? What do you mean bisexual? What do you mean? What do you mean? What are all these things? It's crazy talk. Oh my God, they're going to rape my kids in the co-ed bathroom or whatever, right? Good, bad, black, white, simple shit. Conservative logic has penetrated the vote blue no matter who, Democrat. And is right there with the Republicans as well, which makes up the bulk of society. And then independents, a lot of them, I will never vote Democrat, period. Who are you voting for this? I'm, I'm. What, 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 how are you going to pass any legislation, Mr. Independent? Well, I'm, uh, I'm just going to. Hello? How are you going to do it? Well, that's just details. You're an elitist. Uh, you, you, you're an establishment bootlicker. Fuck the establishment. Have you paid attention to anything I say? I mean, I want you to think about this. 
when you have gatekeepers that try to tell you not to take medicine for a disease or to not do, don't you smoke the marijuana, you're going to be whatever. Ultimately, we always come up with a, we always move the goalposts for what it's going to take. We always move the goalposts. But if we just educate everyone, they're going to be right in line with us. But if we just this, oh, but we've got to cuddle them and spoon them and have anal to be able to get their trust. Or, oh my God, maybe if we do 69, we'll get their trust. Maybe if we dance around in the nude so they can see how fat we are, that we have a dicky do, maybe they'll trust us more. I don't know. Maybe they'll, they'll trust us because they won't think we're a threat when they see our stretch marks on our gut. Maybe that'll keep them so we can hang around with their wife because they don't trust us now. I don't, it's always a moving goalpost, folks. There's always a moving goalpost. And that's part of the deal. That's not an accident. As soon as you say something, you can almost envision the Garden of Eden. Surely you'll not die when you eat the apple, Eve. Surely you'll not die, right? Whatever, right? There's always some sea lion counteroffensive to deal with. There's always some different perspective coming through the door, not well-researched. They don't understand, but damn it, they got ideas, right? And now all of a sudden, you've got to spend all the time simultaneously, climate clot is ticking eight years. Help me develop a theory of trust within eight years so we can survive. Otherwise, let's just tuck tail and become libertarians and go home and call it a day, okay? That's the deal, eight years, eight, not five, not 20, eight. And that right there is to have it in action, in action. 12 years, four years ago, it's eight years now, and we don't have anything close to working legislation. We don't have anything close to consensus, and we're busy trying to build trust amongst people that want power. They crave power. They want likes and clicks on their channel. They want money from the big headline news. They want positions of power in, in Congress or in the wherever or in their company. They're not interested as a rule in these things because they have self-interest that overrides class interest that overrides facts. I mean, I want you to know, Stephanie Kelton came on Jimmy Dore's show. I went on there shortly thereafter. Max, whoever, Max Keebler, or whoever the hell he is, with Bitcoin comes on. Then shortly thereafter, right-wing nut Peter Schiff comes on. Now, if you're a Jimmy Dore fan and he's got about a million of them and he goes live and you got 20,000 people listening or you're Joe Rogan and you've got millions listening and you sit there and tell right-wing nuts about economics and that, yeah, they're printing money. That just destroyed every little channel that was trying to tell the truth. <clears throat> so what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Richard Wolf comes out there and says, yeah, they're spending our tax dollars. That's not true. But Richard Wolf said it. And he's got a bigger platform. Who's right? Who's wrong? I'm right. They're not spending your tax dollars. But he's got, he's got trust. Whatever the fuck that means. Trust in the lies he's telling? I don't know. I don't get it. But it's there. That's the reality. That's the reality. So with that, I want you all to think about this. The one inch above the pig slop is always, always going to be the trading point between the have-nots and the haves. All they have to do is give you a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more access, a little bit more whatever, and the whole thing comes crumbling down. Until we can somehow or another dumb the message down to the point where people hear it. I don't I don't know how you make class interest for somebody that makes a million dollars to say, hey, we've got to do this when they're thinking, hey, I just want taxes lowered so I can make more on my investment. I don't know how you do that. You figure it out, you let me know. I don't know how to do it. So with that, I'm Steve Grumbine, folks, and I hope that you all enjoyed this. Have a great weekend. Got a bunch of interviews that are going to be coming, good interviews. 
Keenan Michael Hudson in a few weeks. Really excited about that. So without further ado, I'm out of here. Have a great weekend. Peace out. The Rogue Scholar is a production of Real Progressives. If you would like to support our work, please visit patreon.com slash realprogressives. Thank you.